This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Hey everybody, this is Richard Deitch and welcome to the Sports Media Podcast. My producers are Patrick Antonetti and Sean Cherry. Our guest this week is a familiar one, James Andrew Miller the best-selling author of books on Saturday Night Live and CAA. And of course, and the reason he is here for this particular podcast, ESPN, James Miller, also, or Jim Miller, I should say, also hosts the Origins podcast, which is uh, part of the Cadence 13 family of podcasts. Uh, go into his archives and check those out on Almost Famous and Sex and the City, some pretty remarkable stuff. And Jim Miller, kind enough early in the morning for him in California to join me today on the Sports Media Podcast. Jim, I know you don't drink coffee, but are you, are you awake? How are you? Thank you for having me. All right. So here's where we want to start with. Um, <laughs> man, it has been, as you know, sort of just um, an endless news cycle when it comes to ESPN. But last week, um, very big news that sort of had been foreshadowed for a long time. And that was Dan Lebertard and ESPN came to, at least both sides say publicly, a mutual agreement that uh, Dan Lebertard will be leaving the company and the network on January 4th. His radio show, very popular radio show, will end. Highly questionable, which is uh, Lebertard's television show that he did for many years with his father and Bomani Jones and others, will continue with some form of the uh, ESPN people on that show. So this is where I want to start with, Jim. Um, I get asked a lot of questions about Levitard over the last uh, six months from, I would imagine, fans of his show asking, like, what what is ESPN doing? Like, why, do they, why are they seemingly sort of making things more difficult for him? And my answer was sort of always the same. Like, it, it makes no business sense to me. I, I understand that the show is always bit of an iconoclast, and Lebertard wanted to speak about things that went beyond sports, uh, you know, freedom of speech and um, and race and, and other important topics, particularly when they navigated with sports. But it was such, um, it, it was such, you know, the, the his show was, was, they would try, here's what, I, here's what I'll get to, Jim, and I realize I could have had a smoother opening. ESPN would trumpet his show many times is the most downloaded podcast that they had and their most successful podcast and how it was kind of a digital juggernaut. And then months later, they they break this relationship, they end it. And of course, one of the key moments of ending it was um, letting go of one of Levitard's producers without, at least in Levitard's words, telling him and Levitard calling it essentially, you know, one of the worst things that he had ever dealt with professionally. So to sort of summarize it, Jim, they had something that was very popular. Clearly, they trumpeted PR-wise the popularity, and then they seemingly tried to screw the show. So you're the business expert here. What, what am I missing? How did this break down? 
Well, look, I mean, Dan has been one of the most prominent voices at ESPN and certainly the most prominent Hispanic voice, uh, one of the most prominent Hispanic voices in sports. And he had a terrific rise there. And I think that what one of the things that we saw through the last couple of years was that there was this increasing tension, uh, certainly magnified by when he felt that there were kids in cages during this immigration battle and he wasn't really allowed to talk about it. And I think he made a mistake by calling Jimmy Bataro a coward, but you certainly could understand why he wanted to use his platform to talk about this stuff. And therein lies the rub, because this wasn't the first time that ESPN has had a tension uh, between these independent voices who they do celebrate and who, because they have independent mindsets and because they are controversial, they garner more hits and they garner more attention. And so all of a sudden you have these exotic flavors and at key moments it felt like to these people that they wanted them to become vanilla. And so there was a lot of tension. I think that one of the things that became clear, though, was particularly when they, look, this kid that, well, he's not a kid, but this guy who was making basically $40,000 a year who was laid off without them telling Dan and, you know, in advance, and this was his mentor's son and somebody that they knew to be close he was very close with. I mean, that, I think that was a, let's just say that I've heard from a couple of people, I think it was a provocative act. And I think they knew exactly what the repercussions of that would be. And thus the march toward a separation. Um, by the way, from what I've heard on the, on the deal, uh, I think that the settlement, uh, they, they seemed uh very anxious for the settlement. It wasn't, there are times when you can look at how ESPN behaves and you can say, well, they don't really want this or they're willing to play tough on this. And my understanding from the settlement talks was that they were very anxious to get it wrapped up. And uh, whether that suggests that they were overly generous with Dan, I can't, I, I don't want to go that far, but um, certainly none of this was a surprise. So then back to your main question, which is, from a business point of view, how does this make sense? And I think that you know, one of the things that ESPN has to deal with is when, if they make a decision that they no longer want to be in business some, with somebody, particularly somebody who has the kind of following that Dan does, then it becomes a really tricky process in order to disengage. And I think that one of the things, one of the reasons why I lend some credence to you know, the idea that that was a provocative act and not telling them about that guy being laid off was because then it, at least it, it puts it on Dan's court and, and he gets to make the first move. And then they can say, well, he's not happy and we understand. And so we wish him luck. But if you look at some of the podcast deals that have been done recently, and particularly given the size of Dan's following, he's not going to have any problem come January 4th creating a new chapter for himself. And I think that ESPN is just right now in the midst of evaluating basically 
everything except the NFL. I think that the, I mean, I think that's a kind of a, uh, I, I know that might sound like a too big a statement, but I think that the business has been so disrupted and the the dynamic with Burbank and some of the exigencies involved in just the, the revenue stream and cord cutting and going from nearly 100 million households to in the high 70s, everything. All, these are these are major events. And so what I think they're trying to do is they're trying to come up with a new formula and new ways of doing business. That means laying off a lot of people, but it also means maybe they're not going to be spending that kind of, you know, big money on, on celebrities. I mean, obviously they signed Stephen A. Smith to a huge deal. Uh, but since then, I think that they've been spending a lot of time trying to figure out what they, who they want to be, particularly in terms of personalities. So um, sorry for the long-winded answer, but I think it's a little bit complicated, and Dan is a perfect vehicle to use to, to talk about the larger picture. All right, so a couple things. Let's just clarify a couple things, and then i got some more uh, sort of on this for you. Um, Levitard, um, in terms of when he, when he discussed his network being cowardly or afraid to talk about stuff, uh, just for point of order, there was a Trump rally in North Carolina. Uh, crowd started chanting center back regarding Representative uh, uh, Omar of Minnesota, Somali refugee. And that's when uh, Levitard, um, uh, that was the show. That was, that was basically the incident where he really started discussing, um, given his own family's history in Cuba, uh, what, what he thought was just sort of an outrageous sort of act. And I think Jim, and maybe it doesn't matter. Uh, he called the network cowardly. I don't know if he called Pataro cowardly, but I guess if you call your own network cowardly, you're, um, you know, you're in some sense, you're calling Jimmy Pataro cowardly in that way. Let, let me, let, let me ask you. So you sort of spelled out a couple of things in your answer that I want to, um, that I want to follow up on the, um, how much of this in your opinion is was inevitable once John Skipper left, meaning that were there people who John Skipper hired who were loyal to John Skipper, who John Skipper sort of believed should be on ESPN and 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 certain types of um, you know cer- 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 certain types of personalities that were unafraid to talk about the nexus of sports and social justice or sports and politics and. And we know how close Levitard was to Skipper. So I wonder, at least from your analysis, even though Dan Levitard did sign a contract after John Skipper left or re-signed a contract, do you think this was inevitable once Skipper was gone, given the relationship there? Well, you know, at studios, when uh, head of production or development is fired and a new person comes in, sometimes there's a tendency to kind of wipe the slate clean and they put a bunch of scripts and turn around and because they don't want to be affiliated with the previous regime and they want to start their own. I don't think Jimmy did that, quite frankly. I mean, I think that the problem is that this was such a dynamic time after Skipper left. I'm not sure what Skipper would be doing now. I, I, the only thing I'm sure of is he wouldn't be clamoring to renew with the NFL, which was a big problem between him and Bob Iger. But beyond that, 
I think that he had people that he really cared about and he was devoted to. And Dan was certainly one of those because he believed in his talent and he believed in his presence on ESPN. So that's, you know, I don't, I don't know if they were, I mean, John has been gone for, for a while now. So I don't think this is about, you know, getting rid of the skipper people. Um, that probably was the case with Jamel, but I definitely don't, I don't think that this was a, a skipper, a, a, you know, agenda. Skipper was in the forefront of, of causing this. The, the, the bigger question is, it's not about who, it's about how. And I think that this is something that, quite frankly, is upsetting to a lot of people. And I think it gets us into the Trey Wingo discussion as well, which is if there are if there are business decisions that have to be made, particularly about individuals, then by all means, no one is sacrosanct and you have to make them. The problem is, and, and I'm not trying to be a Jimmy Pataro defender here, but I will say this, this the, the entire business of sports television and sports rights and distribution and everything else, it's changing so much. And that's what one of the things that this guy is responsible for. And he can't do everything. And so managing personnel decisions and deciding how contracts are going to be renewed or who says who they say goodbye to or whatever he can't be involved in every single facet of that and so that's left to others and actions have consequences and consequences define culture and for years and years and years you know george bodenheimer used to say culture the word culture more than any other word probably and rightfully so because he was passionate about it and culture has been a big deal at espn and i think that when you start to look at the way certain things were happened with dan and the way certain things happen with with trey i think that you start to have a feeling that a lot of people up at espn have which is that the company is not certain people at the company in key positions are not acting the way that Jimmy himself has defined the kind of company that he wants. And by the way, the kind of person that he is. And that shows how big, big ESPN is. Let me ask you a direct question here. Um, in the, in the Levitard, um, in what ESPN put out, um, regarding the, uh, announcement that Levitard um, was, um, you know, the, the, the mutual decision that, uh, that that both had come to. Norby Williamson, ESPN's executive vice president and executive editor, is, uh, is cited here in a, in a quote. Um, wh- why is he the point person here um, on this? And we'll eventually get to uh, Trey Wingo, because I think um, it's rather clear that Norby Williamson was... Uh, perhaps the most significant point person in the decision not to resign Trey Wingo. And I'm sure Norby Williamson has been, uh, not I'm sure, I know Norby Williamson has been a significant point person in making significant decisions on content over the last couple of years. And Jamel Hill is a perfect example. You just mentioned her before. Um, you know, she's been pretty public about that. So let's start with the Levitard one. And Norby's been there a long, long time. 
I mean, how how, how probably how deep in, in the? Uh, go ahead. He's he's in your. I've talked. To, I haven't talked to him in a while. I'm not his favorite reporter. I would think. Um, he, he was in your book. I'm sure, if I remember. And so he's a big player now, or he's he's re, he's reemerged as a major content player. I think. And so, how come he's in the? What, how do you read the fact that he's the person, the ESPN management person that's front and center in the Levitard release? I mean, how deep in the weeds of ESPN do you want to go right now? Because uh, there's, there's, a, there's you know, several layers of this. I mean, look, the short answer that I can give you is Connor Shell leapfrogged Norby. And there were years when people thought that Norby was kind of out of favor or he didn't have the power that he used to have. And, yes, Norby's been been there for a long time and yes i did joke that after a nuclear blast in bristol it'd be norby left with cockroaches but the truth is that if you look at norby's career i mean he was a pivotal he played a pivotal role in producing particularly sports center during uh i mean mike mcquade was there obviously and played a huge role but norby was an important presence and he was very close to a lot of people um that were key at the time and from chris berman and keith and dan and at times that they weren't but the times that they were but the point is that this guy has had a variety of key roles and connor shell leapfrogged norby under Skipper, and there was a whole tendency for people then to think that Norby had been pushed to the side, and in fact, at one point, people were waiting for him to leave the company. It turned out that the way that Connor decided to approach his job and Connor's bandwidth um, left a lot of room for Norby to have uh, significant impact, and particularly when you think about what happened with Jamel and Michael on Sports Center Six, uh, I think he was he was obviously the fixer on that, and ruthlessly so because he was very focused on what the objectives were, and he got it done for the company, and he's been very effective. I think that the thing that people sometimes remark about Norby is he doesn't have the bedside manner and the the kind of finesse to make things a li- seem a bit easier and a bit more humane uh, than, than others. And I think sometimes people thought that Connor was too soft and Norby was too tough and there wasn't anything in the middle, and you could go on and on with all these different theories. The biggest problem is that Norby is very, very sophisticated when it comes to the press, uh, and even when he's not quoted in releases. I'm not sure how Chris LaPlaca decides, or that probably not decided for him. They have people that are going to be out front on those things. If you notice, Connor did, was not as out front on a lot of these announcements as people who used to have his job in the past. I mean, when Mark Shapiro had that job, 
Mark Shapiro made the decisions. Mark Shapiro stood up and said, this is how I feel. He gave the quotes. And if you wanted to take a shot at him, go ahead. Good luck. But he wasn't going to be hiding behind anything. And he wanted to have ownership over those decisions because he was in charge. I think that there was a, there's been a lot of confusion over the past couple of years about who was really in charge on certain things. And that that dynamic between Connor and Norby was confusing to some, but at the end of the day, it doesn't surprise me that Norby was, you know, quoted in that release. That was something that is under his purview, and he certainly was very, very involved and probably the architect of of it happening. So, you know, I think that we just we need to recognize that. I'm Mark Chapman. Welcome to the Planet Premier League podcast. Each week, Cesc Fabregas, Nader Manua and myself talk all things Premier League. As a player, you don't have time to talk. No. You don't have time to make a plan. You just need to deal with wave after wave after wave. We watched Coach Carter and he said, oh, afterwards, the game's just about doing this for your teammates. And I remember looking around halfway through the film and half the squad was asleep. <laughs> Planet Premier League. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. All right, so that and that leads us to uh, to train Wingo, and I think very clearly um, that Norby was involved in in that. And so here's what I would sort of say to you, and I, I did a long piece with Trey. I, I've written very positively about Trey over the years, so I'm not hiding the fact that um, you know it's the same thing with Adnan for both of us. If there's somebody I like and and someone I think is professional and has been really good for viewers, I'm going to write it and say it and. And if you then want to call me an advocate, if it blows up, I, I, I got to take that. I think that's fair. And so, um, you know, I asked Trey in this interview why he's not at ESPN. His first answer basically is, well, you're going to have to ask them that. And then we eventually, um, and he was very thoughtful at ESPN and very appreciative of his time. Wasn't somebody who basically scorched earth his way out of there. But I think the most interesting thing that I took away from that interview, Jim, was uh, Trey saying that about a year and a half before his radio contract was up, he went to ESPN management and said, I'm not a morning person. This is not something I want to do long term. I'll finish this contract out. But, you know, when the three years are up, I really would like to do something else. And I want to give you um, the heads up on this. And well, where I think myself and others would be like, that's yeah, pretty professional. That, that's what you do in, as, a, as a professional. You let your bosses know that you're going to honor the contract, but when the contract's up, you, you, you'd like to do something else. This is not for you. Um, instead, Trey Wingo said, and this is a pretty, pr- pretty big line by him to say, I guess in retrospect, that might have been the worst decision I could have ever made. And he talked about how um, initially when he took the job, somebody who was very close to him, and that I read, somebody at ESPN said, you know, if you don't take this job, they're going to hold it against you. Um, and if you don't take this, uh, if you don't take this job, they're going to hold it against you the next time. Interestingly enough, they, they held it against him, even though he took the job. But I took that whole takeaway as, um, as a, as a decision basically by management when Trey said that he wasn't going to continue with Golik and Wingo, that they were basically going to be like, you're not happy with this dude. You make a shitload of money. We're in cost-cutting role. We're not finding a we're not finding a new role for you, even if you've been uh, an excellent NFL draft host, even if you've been an excellent NFL live host. 
um, for lack of a better word, you know, you've made your money and now we're going to fuck you by not resigning you. Um, that's how I read it. You may read it differently, but that's how I, that's how I read this, which again, I would cite is not good business because in theory, ESPN should want people with institutional knowledge and professionalism on the air. And if it's about sort of, you know, if there's a money play here, find a money number that can work for both sides. But this seemed a little, I don't know, it seemed at least on management side, once again, like Lebertard, a little bit personal here. But you tell me, you're, you're, you're more of a management guy than I am. <laughs> I don't know what that means, but I read your I read your <laughs> interview with uh, with Trey, and I thought it was really well done. My takeaway from the interview was that he's uh, an incredibly uh, I mean he doesn't have a huge ego, and the way he comported himself under those circumstances I thought was extraordinary, and that's the that's the guy that people came to know. Look again, I come back to this idea that. There's a lot of different ways to do this, and part of what executives are paid for in in that realm is making sure that you deal with things in a way that is good for the company and good for employees, particularly employees who have been around for a long time. Uh, so all over today, at, at, at networks and at studios, there's going to be conversations between executives and talent. And they're going to be saying, look, we, we like this, or we can't do this, or this is where we are, and can you help us, or any kind of conversations. And I think that when you don't have those conversations, and you don't sit down at a table, and you say, look, we want to be totally transparent about what's going on, given what you've said, and given what we, here's what we need, is there a way that we can work this out, or this is what we're thinking, or whatever. I mean, why does somebody who has been there for as long as he has, and has done, you know, as much work as he has done, and by the way, there were times when he got passed over for gigs, and wanted something, and didn't get it, and he was a class act, because he didn't, you know, run to Deadspin or somebody else and bitch about it. And he wasn't running around the halls acting like a petulant child like some people do. So, I mean, he was a pretty classy act. So why does there have to be a surprise there? Why, why is this so difficult? Why can't there be a transparency? And I think that that's something that ESPN is... Uh, I, I would say suffering from right now. And again, I don't put it at Jimmy because even though, yes, he's responsible for everything, he can't be in all those conversations. I mean, he does talk to talent and he is, he tries to make himself available, but that's not his job. That's not, that's, that's not his job. He, he is in a ground war in Southeast Asia in terms of trying to figure out the future of that business and dealing with a very competitive rights situation on a number of properties. And so the people, the question is, do the people that are interacting with the town, are, are they reflecting the same kind of values that Jimmy has? And, um, I'm not, I'm not sure of that, but I think that it doesn't have to be that difficult. Just sit down with the guy. He's a he's a reasonable guy. And by the way, you brought up Adnan. You know, Norby was involved in that too. And this isn't about. By the way, this isn't a bitch fest about Norby Williamson because I happen to like Norby, and I certainly know that he has a 
a pretty intense track record over over several decades uh, of coming through for the company and you know and really doing uh, a great job. I just think that in certain areas he may not be the person to be like there's sometimes you know there's a great surgeon that comes in and does the operation but then there's another doctor that talks to the family out in the waiting room if if norby is the guy if jimmy wants norby to be the guy who does the tactical the, the surgery walks in kind of just has his mind focused on that boom then you need somebody else for for a long time there was Lori orlando and jerry madelon and there were a lot of people that were supposed to make the edges softer and you know maybe that's that's what they need more of but the truth is that somebody like trade and adnan adnan did not deserve i mean i don't even want to get back into that but that was a huge mistake and of course adnan's career since he left espn is proof that they you know not only made a mistake in not giving him a second chance but the way that that was dealt with was i thought ugly and and unnecessary and uh and it's a, it was a mistake for them but i i just think at the end of the day the way that you treat your people is a way of defining this quote-unquote culture that they so care about and there's just too many people that you know that i hear from uh you know on sometimes you know uh, n- numerous times let's put it that way numerous people uh more and more over the past several months that are very upset about the place that they are working and that's not about dollars and cents and that's not about them recognizing that they don't have to make layoffs or changes or whatever it's just about how okay so a couple sorry a couple things there and then we'll get to our final topic i, I mean i i I feel like you're being generous with Norby personally, but that's okay. I mean, that's your your opinion, and um, um, and you know, you you have a different relationship with him than than. than I don't really have a. I mean, I, he was kind enough to participate in the book, and I've talked to him a couple of times. But I know there are certainly journalists out there who he's um, more friendly with, and we can see that. Um, <laughs> Hel- Helen Keller yeah, can figure true. that one out. But um, I just, yeah. uh, you know, I'm not trying to trash his work. I just think that, uh, no, I you know, I that's all. Well, you know, I mean, <laughs> amazingly enough, the the, the, the ESPN uh, leaks continue to happen out of Bristol after Adnan Burke left. I can't believe it. I know. It. I mean, it's, uh, it's, it's a Casablanca, basically. Um, but, but I cannot believe I've won in roulette a couple of times here. So here's the, here's the last part I want to get to. And... Um, you know, and there's some through lines here when it comes to uh, Levitar and Wingo as well. And that's the, I mean, Jim, the sheer amount of quality journalists that have left ESPN now in the last five years is just, it's head spinning. Um, just this past week, uh, Wayne Drays and Ian O'Connor announced um, that, that they had been let go basically by ESPN or or, or ESPN was... Uh, you know, doing one of those deals where they're sort of they pay you to go. Essentially, those are two. I mean, uh, two incredibly talented guys who who produced amazing work over the years. Bonnie Ford, a uh, longtime friend of mine, a phenomenal journalist, uh, negotiated a buyout basically, and sort of said that 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 she wanted to try other stuff. So she's in a little bit of a different situation than than those let go. But again just a massive amount of firepower leaving. And Jim, this just comes on the heels of this latest 
uh, layoff round where we saw people like Claire Smith, an absolute legend and baseball writer, and Ivan Maisel, you know, long-time uh, college, college football respected writer. There are people like you, trust me, the public doesn't even know. I worked with a guy at Sports Illustrated for many years named David Sabino, who was a key point of OTL, a behind-the-scenes analytics and research guy. And, you know, there's hundreds and hundreds of those people in this last round. And then, Jim, I'm not even I, – I, I, we could spend all day if you – for both of us, if we wanted to go back to the previous layoffs when people like Jay McManus and, and Ashley Fox and, um, you know, and so many – if I start naming a million people, it's, you know, and then I'm going to leave somebody out. And it's not my intention here. But, I mean – we're talking hundreds, Jim, hundreds and hundreds of journalists who are no longer at ESPN. And I'm not so we're both of us are not so removed from the time when they used to tout that they were, you know, the top dogs when it came to sports journalism in the country and that they were absolutely committed to this. You know, I remember whether it would be Connor Shell or Skipper and they said that, you know, this is journalism's always gonna be a massive part of who we are and outside the lines used to be on daily and then they gutted that. So, you know, again, I realize I'm sort of going all over the place here, but man, I, I just, I don't know, like this week, like it just really once again hit home just how much talent they have lost uh, in, in our world over the last, uh, over the last five years. Well, I think, look, you've got to go back to the John Walsh days to talk about the fact that they were the kind of company, though, that celebrated that. And for a long time, they were spending a ton of money on on journalists, and and they had an incredibly wide and deep bench. And then it was like ESPN Chicago and ESPN. I mean, they went down. We, we've seen them follow a lot of different business plans. At the end of the day, it might be so simple as the arithmetic of 100 million homes times $8 a month versus $78 million, 78 million homes. Uh, and that's a lot of money. And we are, you know, sometimes you have to wait, you know, a couple of years and you think, and you look back and you go, boy, things were really changing then. Well, we don't need that. We, we know that. We know that so much of the business is in flux. And we know that they are trying to figure it out. The thing that I, I think would be helpful, though, for ESPN is I feel like we're suffering through a million different kinds of cuts and, and, and um, not, not layoffs. I mean, like, you know, razor blade cuts on your arm or something, because instead of coming out in, in a sweeping state of the sport and this is what ESPN is now and what it needs to be in the future, I mean, I think there was an attempt there to layoffs uh, prior when they talked about linear to digital, and when they right. when they talked about that, you 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 had a sense of understanding what the transformation was, and you understood why some of the decisions they made. Even though I think that for some of those people who were there for a long time, there's something called training, and they could have and these were smart people and dedicated people, and they could have given the opportunity to some people to uh, learn new tricks, but that was their decision. But right now, I think that, I, I, I mean, are they saying, given the long list that you've talked about and people that I know, and, you know, again, it's hard to mention certain names because you don't want to leave out others, but the, the problem is, are they saying that they don't want to be a journalistic entity anymore? Are they, or are they no, saying... they're not saying right. that. Right. 
Right. But then what are the repercussions of these losses? And what does that what does that what does that mean for the kind of journalistic entity that you want to be? Yeah. And I'm sorry to interrupt you, but I do want you to comment. And the one thing that's just very – forget the fact that I don't like, obviously, the fact that they've let people go, including people who are friends of mine who I think are really good. Like that's a personal thing. But the larger thing, Jim, and this is a real one, is like they were a safe harbor for sports journalists. And at one point, like the preeminent place to try to get to to be hired where you could have a job – in what is a hard business to have a long career in for decades. They're, they're, th- that's what is the most disappointing is that when you take them away and then you see what sort of is left at that level, that's what's scary is that there's not going to be – I know The Athletic has a ton of journalists, but like they're, they're, the, the, there's not going to be another ESPN to replace, the, to replace ESPN, and there are going to be people who have been laid off by them who are never going to get that kind of job again, which, um, you know, it's just, it's, uh, it's just disappointing and frustrating. And you're right. Like they went from a hundred million to 70 million households and there's less money, but you, you cannot argue that there has been a systematic decision here in prioritizing. And they have made a priority in, in that they are going to be a place that is going to put a lot of their eggs, if not all their eggs, into the NFL basket, and that's where the money's going. The money is going to sports rights. They're they're ultimately going to be a place that airs games and then has content around those games, and sometimes the content around those games will be journalism, and sometimes the content around those games will be opinion and, 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 and sports opinion. Well, look, I think it's having repercussions. I mean, you, you think about kids coming out of journalism school now, and years ago they would have been dying to go into, you know, start a small city and cover sports for a local paper and then migrate their way into a place like ESPN or the New York Times or whatever. And uh, that just doesn't, that's just not happening along the way it did. I mean, my my son studied journalism and uh, it was a very short conversation in terms of whether or not he was going to continue to, I mean, he covered, you know, the basketball team, the football team. He wrote, you know, hundreds of articles in his four years at, in, at school. And uh, there was no part of him that wanted to do that, even though he loved it and even though he's good at it, because there was no, there, there's not a perception of amongst his generation that that's, that's a viable alternative. That's, that's, a, that, that, that's a career that you can pursue and that will be there for you if you want it. And so I think it's it's having a lot of a lot of repercussions down the line. And look, it's very it's great that places like the Athletic are, are around, but it certainly seems that ESPN. I mean, look, the one other name that we should mention in this context is Bob Lee, because obviously he was the preeminent ambassador for great journalism at at ESPN and was in the chair for some of the most important journalistic moments in ESPN history. And I think that the fact that he's not there, I mean, look, he worked his ass off and he's entitled to, to, to uh, wind down. Um, but I think that it was pretty clear that Bob saw the writing on the wall in terms of the commitment to journalism and whether or not 
he could stomach going through uh, more and more rounds of watching people, you know, valuable colleagues and producers he worked with and journalists who he really respected being voted off the island. Uh, I think that, you know, that's that was something that Bob saw early on. And and I think it's, you know, it was I think it was not to put words in his mouth, but I certainly felt like it was difficult for him. And so then you lose somebody like that as well. And, you know, maybe, yeah. you know, maybe a couple of years earlier. That's a, than guy you who could, that's, that's a guy who could. Yeah. And that's a guy who can save jobs. I mean, just that's the reality when you have a guy with that kind of standing, you know, he can make. But he couldn't. Well, I, I know that. But for, for a while, he could like you could you could at least make the argument to, um, you know, a skipper or somebody like that to try to keep as many people at OTL. But yes, the, the, the winds have changed and I don't know who can, I don't know if there is a Bob Lee left at ESPN who can, who can save these jobs. I think, you know, what seems clear to me and we'll sort of wrap this up here is that they're, they're getting towards, I hope, first of all, I, I will say this and I've said this in print a million times. So, you know, this is not me just saying this now, anybody who gives any shit about, what I have to do here. And I'm not even saying you should. Um, I've always said that ESPN's feature producers on the television side are the best collection uh, or the most talented collection of any group at ESPN. And they are journalists through and through. So there's always going to be journalistic features at ESPN as long as that group is stays whole and, and continues. And, you know, there's, there's still terrific people there, the TJ Quinns and the Paul Laverne's and, uh, and, and uh, Elizabeth Merrill's, et cetera. But, and here's sort of the big but, Jim, it does feel like, at least in some sense, that, like, the, the blueprint here is to try to get, like, the Woj in each sport, like the Woj model. So you have Woj in the NBA, and you got Jeff Passan for uh, for MLB, and, you know, maybe that's Wyshynski and Emily Kaplan and NHL, and, you know, obviously, you probably still will load up on the NFL because that's your cash cow. But you know what I'm saying, uh, Jim? It does seem like maybe, like, the... The paradigm here is just to get the ultimate newsbreaker for every sport, and rather than having all these feature writers who um, used to work for all the different ESPN entities, like that's your journalism approach now is to basically own the ticker, you know, own the own the Twitter sphere with the newsbreak. Well, and if that look, and if that's the case, and if that's what their business slash strategic plan is, then you know that then that's it, and people can decide accordingly whether or not they want to go there with that kind of uh, uncertainty surrounding them. And it also means that a lot of people are going to go through painful exits. But there are still, I'm glad you mentioned it, there are still terrific people there. I just, I guess if there's one takeaway from all of this, it's just that... Yeah. Tom Van Natta, and et cetera. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, again, think, I'll, I'll get in trouble if I don't mention it. No, 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 but I mean, I think, look, I think the, the, the takeaway for me is uh, twofold. One is, if you have to do it, it's there's a way to do it and there's a way not to do it. And the second thing is that at some point it would be great instead of us talking about, you know, all these different individual trees that fall, uh, let us know what the forest looks like. Let communicate what is the what what is the vision, what is the mission, what is the new what is ESPN five point uh, what you know that that's all, and I think that that could be that's that's something that could be not only clarifying but perhaps even an energizing force for 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 the network and a way to distinguish themselves from the competition. 
That's well said. Um, is there anything else you want to hit on before, uh, before I let you out of here? I t- meant to try to no, I just, hold uh, you, to, you a know, small, look, to a smaller amount of time, but, uh, but we got no, into I it think, a little bit. Uh, so you know, look, I think that I'm glad that, look, Dan and Trey are two important people, but I'm glad we mentioned others that may not have, may not have such, such wide followings. And, uh, you know, and, I and hope be, that, and we'll be very clear. Both of, both of those people, given their prominence, are going to land in great places, particularly Levertard, who may end up with a deal with a digital player or to go on his own. That could be a multi-million dollar deal. So the, it's less about, oh. like, will they be fine and more about, like, what, what is the signaling sort of heading forward. Yeah, I mean, look, you you always hope. I mean, Adnan has gone on to to great things, and I'm sure Trey will, and Dan will have no problems. In fact, the irony is, much like the case was with Simmons when he got let go, um, you know, the financial picture post Bristol is is often uh, is often brighter. But you can't for for some for some. For 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 yeah, stars, for some, but that's that is the, the case quite, for everybody. Yeah. And right, that's, it's a difficult the question is, like, I hope there. my, I hope the journalists, like I mentioned, the you know Connors and the Bonnie Fords and the Wayne Dre's, et cetera, Claire Smiths, like, will they find something? And that's the, you know, that's the real thing. But you're correct. Like the 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 post Bristol landscape for the for the people at the Levitard level now has changed dramatically. Like, in fact, it's a, in fact, Bill Simmons. I, I don't even think this is a controversial statement. He the greatest thing that happened to him, I think. Jim, you degree is leaving ESPN, at least in terms of financially, right? I mean, the guy's got generational wealth now, and his family's set for life. I don't know if that happens if he stays at ESPN. In fact, it doesn't happen. No, there's 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 no way. There's no there's there's, there's absolutely no way. Listen, at various times, they the sales team at ESPN had difficulty selling Bill's podcast. <laughs> it's amazing. Yeah. Okay. I mean, yes, totally I know amazing. that. that I, I know that podcasts have changed since then, so that might be a little unfair. But my only point is that there was no way, even when he was the highest paid employee at ESPN, that's 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 nothing compared to obviously you know what he's done since. So. You know, um, you hope it works out for everybody. All right, Jim, thank you as always. Jim Miller, James Andrew Miller. You know his work from uh, from all his best-selling books and his Origins podcast. And uh, follow him on Twitter if he's doing any kind of uh, uh, piece or story. He'll be there. What do you got coming up? Promote yourself. No, i got to do better at Twitter. I, I, I just... Uh, you know that Twitter thing. I haven't. Uh, I just don't even have the time for it. I don't know how you. I, I don't know how you make the time to. Do- I'm not. I'm not sure. I'm. I wouldn't. I'm not sure. I'm not sure that's a bad thing, Jim. I mean, it, 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 it's generally speaking, those who avoid it are in a better position than those who are on it, like myself, too much. Uh, happy holidays, Jim. I'm bringing you back though for uh, for the end of for an end of the year thing that we'll do uh, maybe the last week of December. Uh, or at the very latest, the early the first week of January. But we'll we'll sort of talk about this year and 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 do another ESPN writ large uh, at the end of the month as well. Thanks as always for coming on the Sports Media Podcast. Okay, man. Thanks. Thank you for having me. All right, back in the studio. My thanks to Jim Miller as always for uh, for his insight and an interesting conversation. If you like these kind of um, if you like these kind of conversations, if you like this podcast, uh, head to the Sports Media with Richard Deitch archives page. Check out uh, some of our recent episodes. I think um, I think you'll enjoy it if you missed it. Uh, before this episode, Trey Wingo, who we talked about during this podcast, uh, a 48-minute conversation with him where uh, Trey basically, I think, gave me some pretty good insight into why he's no longer at ESPN and what he wants to do in the future. Prior to that, Ryan Rucco of ESPN 
on his uh, new assignments, including the Women's Final Four, and Lindsay Adler and Olivia Witherite of The Athletic on the importance of Kim Ang becoming uh, the first female general manager in Major League Baseball. Prior to that, Hall of Fame basketball coach Muffet McGraw and soccer journalist Grant Wall, Muffet McGraw now an ACC network analyst. Prior to that, Chris Fowler of ESPN talking about uh, calling college football during a pandemic as well as his uh, uh, calling the NFL this year a little bit, and Jordan Cornette and Shea Pepler Cornette, the first married couple to host, or co-host, I guess, an ESPN radio show. Head to the archives uh, for many episodes, and if you like this, please leave us a five-star review and uh, a nice note on that review. My boss will certainly look at that, and that is how this podcast continues. It actually does matter. Let me thank everybody who's helped out on today's podcast. Patrick Antonetti, Sean Cherry, thanks to everybody Kane's 13, Chris Corcoran, Spencer Brown, John McDermott. Thank you, of course, the audience for listening, and we'll see you soon on the Sports Media Podcast.